0: Progressive Insurance protects people's cars, homes, and other vehicles. But if you've ever seen our commercials or even just heard our name, you probably already knew that. What you may not know is that we support Humble Design, a nonprofit that furnishes homes for families and veterans emerging from homelessness.
1: Because a little help
0: goes a long way. And a lot of help. Well, you get the idea. Now, if you already knew all of this about Progressive Insurance, we're impressed. We'll have to find something else cool to tell you next time. Find out more about how we're dedicated to our customers and communities at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
2: This is going to be a big deal for her. She's being housed in the Health Services Unit. That is a special section of the maximum security area. Like, Picture a really bad hospital room in a dark cell combined.
1: Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we're all just trying to survive in a rough world.
3: What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. Usually we go live a little later, but today, because of my kids, we're doing a lunchtime live because daddy's got to be somewhere uh, later on, and being a daddy comes first. uh, Otherwise, I get yelled at. So uh, today we are diving back into the Lori Vallow Daybell story. Uh, She, of course, is the so-called doomsday mom set to go on trial for murder in just a few weeks' time in the beginning of April. It is the incredible story of an attractive, seemingly loving mother, a devout member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who becomes involved in the deaths of as many as five people, including her own children, a uh, truly remarkable story here. Best guest today to break it all down—a familiar face to the show. Boise-based lawyer Jessica Bublitz. She is a skilled litigator with more than twenty years of courtroom litigation experience. She's tried numerous uh, cases in both state and federal courts. She is also the first woman in Idaho to be named a top one hundred trial lawyer by the National Trial Trial Lawyers, and then a new face to the show, but hopefully one that will return again and again. We've got Ashley Wilcott. She is a former judge, Judge Ashley. She's a trial lawyer and mediator, and she hosts Court TV's live coverage weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. Of note for the subject of Lori Vallow Daybell, Ashley is a certified child welfare law specialist, and was the governor-appointed child advocate for the state of Georgia, so she knows a thing or two about child welfare. Of course, in this case, we're dealing with the murder of two young ones. So we are happy to have uh, both of them on the program today. Uh, Quickly, just please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can, uh, as it says right there, hit the like button and become an STS YouTube member. Uh, You can also support us on Patreon. We would greatly appreciate that. And you can listen on audio platforms. You can rate our episodes and write a review. Give five stars if you like what you hear. It helps us quite a bit. Without further ado, a couple of big developments. Uh, Jessica Bublitz, you are in Boise. Uh, Death penalty is off the table. And uh, Lori Vallow is now uh, in Ada County. Um, how big a deal is that?
2: This is going to be a big deal for her because it's going to be a significant difference from where she was in Madison County jail. Um, she's being housed in the health services unit section of max. Um, that is a special section of the maximum security area of the, of the jail. And it's not very cushy. It's, it's really kind of, uh, like picture a really bad hospital room in a dark cell combined. Um, I've had one other female client over the years who was actually in that area housed there. And she was also in and out of being committed. Uh, They put the people there who they think have significant mental health issues and yet are also facing a violent offense of some kind and need to be housed in max. So it's the combination of the two. And the client that I had that was in there it, she was. She would rather be in the uh, state hospital where she spent a significant amount of time than housed in this facility because it is not pleasant. And um, just to kind of describe it, it's pretty small and it's in kind of a U shape. They have a guard and a sort of a, a person posted on the end who can kind of see all these units. So they're somewhat transparent, but they're single units, single housed units, and they face sort of outward towards each other. Um, You hear about the noises, the banging. I mean, it just sounds, what I've been described of this area, it sounds really, really tough to endure. Do we know
3: if she's in protective custody at this point? Obviously, she's a high-profile inmate now.
2: I don't think she needs to be there. I think there's enough security in that area. I think that kind of is the idea of the the unit that she's in, is that it is pretty high-level security. Um, She's being able to be monitored very, very closely. And, you know, what's interesting is going to be the contrast, because she's booked in – I don't know if you guys saw this, but her booking photo looks like she's wearing – eye and uh mascara that's those days are over that's not going to happen in the ada county jail i can tell you that
3: uh judge wilcott to you um how does her life change now that she's in this uh new system in ada county from where she was
0: well let me just tell you this i think all of the many people who have been following the case since the beginning are probably thinking Boy, do I love Jessica's description because that's what she deserves. Now, we know, innocent until proven guilty. So we know she's innocent. But the charges she faces are so egregious. Multiple counts of murder and conspiracy, along with her husband, Chad Daybell, as you know. And for the death, including her two children, as you mentioned. And don't forget, J.J. was only seven at the time. And his sister, her daughter, Tylee Ryan, was only 16. And so when you hear and and her demeanor, her personality, she got married in Hawaii after they went missing. There's footage of that. She looks happy with Chad. She looks fine. She's not showing up in another state in court with her children as she was ordered to do. So when you look at that all together, I think a lot of people are thinking, well, good, good. This is good news. It's going to be tough. It's not pleasant. It's not cushy. It is going to change for her, but it might be a really rude awakening for her to recognize this is jail. This is your life at the moment. And maybe people are thinking, maybe it's what you had coming. I'm not saying that it's right, given she's presumed innocent, but I am saying it's a different jail. Jails are different in every county and every state, and they are what they are.
3: And judge, let me follow up with you. Um, So you are a certified child welfare law specialist. You were even appointed by the governor to be a child advocate for the state of Georgia. How much does it sting uh, knowing that two children were murdered um, in this case? And so many people write to us and say, how could you kill your own children? We obviously just covered the Alec Murdoch trial. How common or uncommon is it? Uh, to kill a child, but let's start off first of all, just by you know uh, seeing it through the lens of a child advocate
0: well, sure, first of all, if you look statistically, there are fewer children killed than adults killed in a homicide um, or negligence, right but It doesn't matter. For me, it doesn't matter if it's not as common statistically. It matters that even one is killed. I have devoted my entire career to children. I do not get it. I do not understand how can anyone hurt a child, much less their own child. But it really doesn't matter what I think or feel because the reality is it happens. And so a lot of the reason I started speaking out about it and doing it publicly and being an anchor is because I want to educate people. You may think I would never do it. No one I know would ever do it. So I can't imagine it really happened that way. No, the reality is people kill their children. People kill other children. I don't get it. I don't understand why or how. You're right. Murdoch convicted of killing, shooting, brutally killing his own son, his youngest of two sons. It makes no sense. Same as in this case. But at the end of the day, these are parents who don't care, who have mental health issues or drug addictions or um, issues that mean they can't put their child first or they choose not to put their child first. I will never understand it, but it happens much too often. And the thing I have to say about this case and every case is so often these deaths are preventable. So did anyone say she's going to kill these two children? I'm going to do nothing about it. No, but I promise you, in retrospect, there were red flags whether it's behaviors in the children, whether it was her behaviors. Why do you think her ex-husband showed up at the house? Her brother then shot and killed him, but because he knew something was off. He was worried about those kids. There are red flags. So every child death in some way is preventable. And unfortunately, this is another example of where they didn't survive. It's, it's the worst of the worst cases.
2: You're right. And there was actually a clip of Charles on camera, on body cam uh, when they were investigating at one point because he was worried about where his kids were and he couldn't get a hold of them. And he said, I'm worried that she's going to harm them. And that was not taken seriously at that point in time. It was not followed up on at that. I mean, it was to an extent, but not to the extent that it should have been uh, given the gravity of his concern. And I think that happens a lot. It does. In custody battles, things of that nature, someone raises, I'm worried. I'm worried about what this person might do. And it's ignored.
0: And on the other hand, some people say, I'm not going to report it because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my instinct's wrong. I don't want to get involved. And so what I would say to everybody is see something, say something. You can report anonymously to child welfare agencies. But also we need more training for law enforcement to be able to recognize when it really is a problem, when there's really a concern. My opinion is if it involves a child, it can never be ignored by anybody, period. They deserve better.
3: And you see some of that body cam footage in the Netflix documentary, Sins of Our Mother, uh, directed by Sky Borg. We have her on the program uh, this coming Monday, so make sure you check that out live. And last night, uh, not to be uh, shamelessly plugging stuff, but this was a fascinating episode. We had a gentleman on named Jody Plouchet. Uh, It is a very famous case from 1984. He was sexually assaulted, abused, molested by his karate teacher. His karate teacher abducted him. Uh, The karate teacher was a 25-year-old Marine, took him from Louisiana to Los Angeles, and uh, the father uh, got wind that they had apprehended the suspect, um, and they were bringing him back through the Baton Rouge airport in 1984. Camera... Uh, The news crews were there with their cameras, and uh, Gary Ploucher, the father, took out a gun. He was hiding behind a payphone and shot the uh, perpetrator point blank in the head. Uh, It was a murder scene by millions, and we had Jody on the show last night. He was interviewed by Dr. Ann Burgess of uh, Netflix Mindhunter fame and uh, Dr. Gary Bricado. So if you missed that, it is definitely worth a watch, Um, and it just goes to show Now, there are a lot of people out there who are intent on harming children, um, and you've got to be protective. Uh, Not crazy, but protective. Um, Astra here writes, controversial opinion. I'm glad the death penalty is off the table. Let her rot in prison. Lori Vallow, that is. She will spend the rest of her life realizing that her God won't rescue her from the consequences of her own sick actions. Um, And then a, a very nice, very... Uh, needed comment here from my my knit saloon greetings from a snowy northern Sweden which sounds nice and serene but let's get to the you know uh, the death penalty Lori was in uh, court last week and the judge said he was going to rule and uh, Judge Boyce sure in fact did that uh, ruling taking the death penalty off of the table Jessica were you surprised by this
2: I was very surprised by this. Uh, I called this one completely wrong. I thought there was no way he was going to do this. I, no way that this was going to be the remedy. But you know what? I listened to his ruling and why he did it. And he didn't do it to do any favors to Lori. The reason he did it was because his case is in such a bad spot that he was trying to save the case. And the reason he felt he had to do it is because of the speedy trial issue. She has not waged speedy trial. And as I said before, I knew he was concerned that this case could get dismissed because of a violation of her speedy trial rights on appeal. And he said as much in his ruling, he said, I'm worried. Well, I don't know if he came right out and said it that way, but he said, there's a heightened scrutiny, uh, on death penalty cases for constitutional violations. Right. So what that means is He was worried that on appeal, uh, because of the fact that none of these continuances have been at the request of the defense counsel or on her behalf, it's all been error by the state. It's all been state's delay, state screw ups. So he's worried that going outside that six months, if this is a death penalty case, that it was going to get thrown out. And so he did what he felt he had to do to save the case, ironically enough. I know it doesn't seem like that, but he was saying, look, I, he believes for whatever reason, I don't know if he got an opinion from a appellate court judge or whatever, he believes that if he took the death penalty off the table, there was less of a chance of that happening because it wasn't going to get that heightened scrutiny that he was talking about. And the reality of it is, when you really look at it, in Idaho, although she has many aggravating circumstances that would qualify her for the death penalty, the mental health could be a mitigating circumstance that would take it off the table anyway. And so he was playing with a chip that he didn't think he really was going to have in the end anyway, right? So he's taking that off the table when let's be real. She probably with, with the mental health stuff would not have faced the death penalty in the end anyway. Um, and in the, in the meantime was saving the case and he was in a bad position because of what the prosecutor has done as far as the discovery violations. And I could go on it like that. that I would (laughs) have to say about that, but that's probably We'll
3: We'll we'll circle back to that for sure. Um, (laughs) But Judge Ashley, to you, um, did it surprise you uh, did it come out of left field that suddenly there is uh, no death penalty in the case and this is a reaction we get from a lot of people people here from Dixie if this doesn't call for the death penalty, I don't know what does. How do you respond to her?
0: Well, two things number one, no, I wasn't surprised at all it qualifies I agree it's a case that qualifies for the death penalty, and I understand the sentiment of this is the worst of the worst. If she's convicted, why? what should be death penalty if this one shouldn't? But I also agree. I think it was the safest route for a judge because if you're looking at the case, the appellate issues, the last thing you want to do is do something that you're afraid is going to trigger an appeal that a defendant who's been convicted might win and you start over again. That's traumatic for the victims for the individuals who have to testify, for everyone in the case. And so as a judge, you really have to weigh those things. And I felt like the mental health issues that we're aware of, as to Lori uh, Vallow, could also serve as that mitigating factor that Jessica just mentioned, and meaning the death penalty might not apply at the end of the day anyway. So I think, and I don't mean this as a criticism, I think it was the safest route to go, because justice is not, okay, it's the most horrific, she's convicted, death penalty qualified, it needs to be a death penalty case, but rather also, what brings justice ultimately, and if you can have, if there's a conviction, a conviction stay in place, society be protected, and she stays in jail the rest of her life. Well, then you've prevented some of those unnecessary appellate issues that could come up and shake that all back down to the ground. So I'm not surprised, but I think it's a safe route to go.
3: And uh, Harold, who's anything but dull and is a friend of the show, writes, no more cosmetics for her. That might be worse than the death, death penalty for her. Everything is relative, I guess. This comment hit me in a strange way. Patricia Burns also tunes in very frequently. Imagine the terror Tylee was experiencing when she became aware that her mother's evil intention had turned towards her. So very tragic. It is easy to kind of lose sight about what may have been going on in their minds. And uh, it must have been uh, horrific. Over the Moon writes, Lori might be detached from her guilt, but she's not insane. She knew exactly how to manipulate and lie to get what she wants. Followed by this comment here from Brittany. Is that my favorite judge I see? It sure is. And she is on Surviving the Survivor. And we're happy to have her. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, it's great to have Ashley Wilcott here. Um, Ashley, we posed a question when we had Jessica on last time. um, Basically asking... Is Lori Daybell mentally ill or pure evil? I'd like to get your take on that, uh, especially now that the death penalty is off the table. Uh, but what about that? Um, is it a combination or one or the other?
0: So, before I give you my true opinion, I want to start with just a reminder: of what everybody really knows who's involved in True Crime and watches and listens to True Crime, and that is, it's a very different thing to determine if someone is competent to stand trial or not to understand what's going on and assist in their defense when they're criminal charges versus mental health diagnoses. And those aren't the same thing. So I would suggest, does she have mental health diagnoses? Sure, she might. But I struggle to differentiate that from evil, right? Because this action was evil. You don't, if convicted, you don't kill children, your own children. You don't murder anyone, right? But but the egregiousness, the heinousness, where they were found in the husband's yard, the way their bodies were treated. Specifically, I want to point out the difference between JJ and Tylee and how they were treated differently um, in their bodies and the disposal. All of those things, it's heinous. It's evil. It's horrible. There's no good word for that. And I think even mental health diagnoses can't take away from the fact those were evil behaviors or actions.
3: Um, I want to get into also uh, with you guys in a few moments, the defense strategy, Jessica, since that's what you do for a living and what they might be uh, attempting to pull off here. Um, Astra writes, she's mentally ill, but she knew what she was doing and it's no excuse. Um, Jessica here. Peggy writes: The problem with the death penalty is some people uh, won't vote guilty even if they think a person is guilty because they simply don't like the death penalty. How uh, true a statement is this?
2: I don't. I don't know if that's true. I've heard that. I think that 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 the sentencing phase is separate um, than the trial phase, and I think in a case like this, especially in Idaho, which is a pretty conservative state overall. Um, even Ada County, which tends to be fairly moderate, uh, you're you're going to have a jury panel that leans uh, more conservative than, than the majority of the country. And I think that we here in Idaho have a great respect for the criminal justice system. We have a great respect for law enforcement, I think compared to other parts of the country. And there is a tendency to... If the person is proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, there is absolutely no hesitancy to make that finding, if that makes sense, regardless of punishment. And then the then puni- then there then you will have the punishment phase, uh, or you would have. Uh, that's been taken off the table now with the death penalty. So we're not going to have that phase two that we would have had if the death penalty was still on the table in this case. Uh, the, the sentencing will be like a normal sentencing where the judge takes information and, and makes a decision on the sentencing. Uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious what the sentence would be though, right? I mean, it's going to be life without parole. She's convicted. I mean, that's a no brainer, but, um, so I I don't think here that's true. I think that if the death penalty had been on the table, if she was found guilty of this, people would have absolutely no hesitation of actually deciding that in fact, she is guilty, regardless of if that death penalty was in the back of their minds. Um, Yeah.
3: Um, Tim writes, special place in hell for those who kill their children. I would have to agree with that. We've got uh, the UK here, Peppermint Tea. That is an appropriate name. Uh, and then um, Alec Murdoch. Uh, Judge, I'm curious uh, y- your take on this. Alec Murdoch killed his wife and son because they got in his way uh, to money and reputation. Lori killed via Alex, her bro, and orchestrated the murder of her children because they got in her way with Chad are there eerie similarities between these two high-profile cases, arguably the two highest profile trials uh, that will take place this year?
0: I think you just pointed out the best, most cognizant, that's not the right word, but the biggest similarity, and that is they got rid of their kids because they got in the way. They got in the way of their relationship. They got in the way of their money. They got in the way of what they wanted to do, right? That parent decision to say, nobody's getting in my way, including my own children and somehow justifying, I'm just going to get rid of them because that solves all my problems and I can move on my merry little way. And I, I still have to go back to the video that most people have probably seen of her. She didn't say much, but her children were missing and she was in Hawaii happily, according to the look on her face getting married. So yeah, I think Alec Murdoch and Lori Vallow both decided I'm getting rid of my children because they're in my way. I'm getting rid of my ex because he's in my way. And that way I can do what I want.
2: Right. And that's what makes the defense, you're asking about how do you defend this? I mean, that is, she's hitting the nail on the head of what makes defending this case so difficult. Just like Alex Murdoch, his behavior is what made defending him so difficult. Here, her behavior is what makes defending her so difficult. Because even if you know guilty or innocent of her being involved, she did not act like a mother. She did not act like somebody who gives a crap that her kids are even gone. Uh, so, a lot of people speculated during this time frame when you're talking about Hawaii when the kids were just missing and they hadn't been discovered yet. People thought, well, she's given them to you know a family somewhere. Uh, these kids are off. You know, she knows where they are, obviously, because she doesn't seem concerned. She's just not telling anyone. So we were thinking just in those initial court charges that she had for abandonment, uh, mm-hmm. produce the kids, you know, tell them where they are, Lori, uh, because her behavior didn't fit with somebody whose kids had been passed away or were even really missing or anything. She wasn't devastated. She wasn't concerned. And that's the problem with her, right? That's the disconnect that everyone is seeing, even with the makeup and the curled hair and all of this. What's aggravating about it? Her kids are deceased, and she comes across as being more concerned about image and things like Uh, this—her own looks and smiling—and you know, your your kids are gone. And where's the grieving? Where's the emotional? impact this has had on you. And why aren't we seeing that? And that's where you ask about evil and what's wrong with her and all of this, right? Regardless of guilt or something's wrong with her. And that's what it comes down to. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think defending this case is difficult. And that's why I, I think she's in control of the ship here. I think she's the one telling her attorneys not to raise or not to put in notice that mental health will be a defense to an element of the offense. Because the only chance she would have had is to raise mental health as an issue that she couldn't actually form the intent for them to die or wasn't cognitively really aware of what was happening. That she doesn't connect because she doesn't get it. That would have been your only real defense. Is it a great one? I mean, we can debate that, but without that notice of mental health, um, right are they're, they're, they're doing the, she alibi, she wasn't there. She didn't do it. Okay. Well then why wasn't she upset? So you're right back to the Alex Murdoch situation where you're analyzing the behavior. So yeah, I don't think her strategy is, is, going to
3: go well. And I agree with you. Worrying about your look is not a good look uh, when your children are dead. Uh, Michelle is a friend of the show. She says, love from Cape Town, South Africa. Hi, Judge Wilcott. Followed here um, by Astra. Uh, And Jessica, I'm curious because you are in Boise. Uh, She writes, Judge Boyce is too inexperienced for this case, I think. He's not been in place very long. And this is a major case. He's scared of messing up. Uh, People are fearful that he's showing a little apprehension and we'll get to the judge about the media question in a few moments, but uh, is he too inexperienced to handle a case of this high profile nature?
2: That's a tough question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think she, I think he's intelligent enough to handle a case like this. And so I'm sure he's getting advice. I know judge Hitler, uh, who is a, Experienced judge out of Ada County sat in on one of his more recent uh, hearings where he had to make some difficult decisions. And I think he's been getting advice from some senior district court judges uh, when he needs it. So I don't think he's too inexperienced to handle this, given the resources that he has and the fact that, from what I've heard, he sounds measured, he sounds intelligent, he sounds capable of handling it. Ideally, you would want to have more than a few years on the bench yeah, before you handle a case like this. And I'm sure he feels the same way. I'm sure he's thinking to himself, you know, wow, I've not been on the bench very long and this happens. Uh, Great. But he's doing everything that he can to make the right calls. He's taking the time that he needs to make the right calls. And like I say, he's in a spot more because of the prosecution's late disclosures. In what's been going on there than anything he's done, right? And I disagree with the not allowing cameras in the courtroom, um, but I don't think that has anything to do with his inexperience.
3: Uh, can I,
0: can I just add to that really quickly? One of the benefits when you are less experienced is if you are smart, you recognize that. And so you take extra steps, as Jessica just said, to consult with those who have more experience. I know when I was first on the bench, I would tell lawyers, you need to go brief it because they were smarter than I was sometimes about the experience level. And so I think if you're new, sometimes you even take more steps, more care to make sure that you are making the right decision in your role as a judge. So sometimes, I don't know this judge, I don't know the state, but I'm just saying sometimes I think that can be a benefit.
3: Uh, We have a new friend of the show who's been coming on in the chat room, and that is J.J. and Tylee's grandmother, Kay Vallow Woodcock. She's here. Uh, She writes, she is pure evil, weighing in on the earlier question, followed here, uh, she is selfish, greedy, and self-serving, followed by this comment, which I'd love for both of you guys to respond to here. We are sick about Judge Boyce's dismissal of the death penalty. We're sorry about that for you. Uh, Kay. But uh, Judge Wilcott, uh, any words of encouragement to uh, Kay Woodcock during this really difficult time for her? And and thank you for watching and being here, Kay.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, first and foremost my thoughts, my prayers go to you, to your family. Um, Can't even imagine going through not only the loss, the grief, the trauma, but also our criminal justice system. It's the best in the world. But that doesn't mean it's easy it doesn't mean that getting to the end of the road and having someone found accountable for horrific murders that doesn't mean it feels good that doesn't mean all of a sudden it's a weight off your shoulders is it justice yes but i can completely respect how she's saying she feels about the fact there's no more death penalty What's hard is legally, I respect and understand why the judge did it, right? And so my hope is that by the time the judicial system, our justice system finishes with Lori Vallow, there will be a better sense of closure and um, finality to some accountability and her being held responsible if convicted for something that can never never go away the kids will never come back and there's there's no really good outcome to that Mm
3: -hmm. Jessica anything you'd like to say to Kay Woodcock
2: I feel so strongly for her as well uh just the sympathy that I have for everything that she's going through um and the the trauma of years of this going on and the impact that 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 has to have had. Um, And I understand, I had a friend, my closest friend from high school was murdered when she went to college and um, he was sentenced to death. uh, And that was at Texas A&M. And um, it took like seven or eight years, I think, for him to actually be sentenced to death. But regardless of my philosophical thoughts on the death penalty, As a young student, I emotionally um, felt what he deserved. Right. And that's the place that you come from when you're a victim. And when you've your family member, uh, this has happened to them. You come from just that emotional place of being victimized. Um, And that's where she's coming from. And I just there are no words. And I understand. And it is horrible. It's a horrible tragedy that this because she does deserve it. Um, and you know, if you believe in the death penalty, then someone in that who has done what she has done, if she is convicted is someone who would deserve it. And, um, the fact that it had to get taken off the table because of process issues is I'm sure devastating.
3: And, uh, we are going to reach out uh, to Kay Woodcock and, and get her and her husband, Larry on the show, um, through Gigi McKelvey. Um, and, and again, I'm glad you are here. Uh, Kay, uh, Patty writes, is a death penalty still on the table for Chad? As far as I know, Jessica, it is, that is an affirmative. That is a yes, correct?
2: It is. It is on the table for Chad because he didn't waive his, I mean, he, he didn't assert his speedy trial rights. He waived his speedy trial rights. So he's not in the same position. Um, so the judge does not need to do that. The fact of these late disclosures, since he waived speedy trial, has meant he gets to test the DNA evidence that was disclosed late and see if it's exculpatory. He gets to go through all of the audios that were disclosed late and see if there are there any exculpatory audios. He gets to do what he needs to do to defend his case at uh, time wise. And so they don't need to take it. The judge doesn't need to take it off the table for him the way he did Lori. And I'll tell you, the judge actually said to Lori's counsel in that hearing where he took the death penalty off the table, he said to her attorneys or to her, look, you need to think about the fact that your attorneys may not have time to go through all this evidence. And he's putting it on her and he's saying, you're not waiving your right to speedy trial. That is your decision that you're making that you need to talk to your attorneys about. So he's basically saying, I'm washing my hands of the responsibility if she can make this choice to stand on her speedy trial rights um, and not have time to go through the evidence.
3: Uh, Ketchup is a friend of the show, writes, evildoer Lori deprived JJ of his meds, petty excuse for a mother to justify her evil actions. What uh, has done with JJ entirely, along with Charles and Tammy's unforgivable Lori and Chad, will rot in hell. Uh, so a lot of strong opinions here. Don writes, I so disagree with them taking the death penalty off. Idaho just passed the death by firing squad because they're having a hard time getting the meds to do lethal. Uh, she should be the first to go. Uh, did this governor sign off on that? I know it was headed to his table, uh, Jessica, but I don't believe, as far as I know, that he actually signed any legislation yet.
2: I have not heard that he signed the legislation yet either. Um, but it, it, it was passed because, as uh, your uh, viewer stated, they, they are having a difficult time in Idaho getting um, the chemicals from the pharmaceutical companies uh, to do a death penalty, to, to use those chemicals for the purpose of the death penalty. Um, pharmaceutical companies, I under, as I understand it, have basically said they don't want their chemicals used for that purpose and are withholding them. Um, and so Idaho said, well... Well, let's figure out another way. And that this is what they came up with.
0: You know, it's interesting, South Carolina, it is law that it can also be by a firing squad. So, just another interesting similarity. There was no death penalty on the table for Alec Murdoch, but that's another option there as well.
3: Yeah. And a person who could be eligible for this is Brian Koberger of uh, the infamous Idaho Four murders uh, at the University of Idaho, which is where Jessica went to uh, law school. Um, Over the Moon writes, this is a high-level question here, um, and Judge, I'm wondering if you can answer. A lot of people ask, how do you defend her as an attorney? Uh, the assumption here is that you know she's crazy, you know she's guilty, you know she did this. Um, that is the uh, the justice system in America, right? But how do you answer this?
0: Here's how I answer it. I am not a criminal defense attorney. I don't have the right, um, it's just not my thing. But here's the importance. You're not defending Lori Vallow. You're defending every one of us. Because guess what? Along the way, if her constitutional rights were violated, all of our constitutional rights were violated. So yes, she's the worst of the worst. But she's entitled to zealous representation by an attorney. And I want that as a judge, as a person, as a United States citizen. Because if she doesn't get it, it's a slippery slope. None of us get it. And that's how a defense attorney, a good defense attorney, defends her. He's defending her rights, which affects the rights of every one of us, or she defended the right.
2: And I'll tell you, it, dep- it depends on what the evidence is. And we don't really know right now what the evidence is uh, of her. What are the statements made? What is her participation? I know Chad, in one of his hearings, his attorney said, um, when it, when they were trying to get the cases <laughs> separated, he implied that there was evidence of Lori's involvement or statements against her that made her look more culpable than Chad somehow. And so I it depends on what that evidence is. We don't know what that evidence is. Uh, but ideally, there her attorneys are able to say, you know, she wasn't part of this. This was all Chad. This was all Alex. This was all other people. Um, She didn't have any knowledge or participation in it. Again, that's a really tough sell, obviously. I mean, given everything that we know and everything that we've seen. Uh, But I mean, I think that's the only, if if they're using an alibi defense and they're using a she didn't do it defense, you have to work with what the evidence is and see what actually links her to the crime and, and cast doubt on that.
3: Uh, Roxy Shantay writes, What is going on with Idaho lately? Joel, you rock, best guest, keep me glued to your show. Happy to have you here. But obviously, these two high profile cases uh, Brian yeah. Koberger, uh, of course, being the other. Uh, yeah. yeah. Judge, can I
2: just, say, can yeah, I just yeah. that for a moment? Sure. It's, as an Idahoan, all right, Kohlberger was not from Idaho. Kohlberger yeah. was from Pennsylvania. He came to Idaho and victimized us from Washington. Okay. So what is going on
3: with Idaho? Idaho is being victimized. There there you go. I like it. I like you standing up for the state. You are 100% right. He came from Pennsylvania. Idaho is being victimized. Um, To you, Judge, I'm curious. um, Judge Boyce also said, hey, not letting cameras in here. um, And what I'm going to do is allow an audio stream. And you're going to have to pay a lot of money for that audio stream. How do you feel about that in a democratic society where people uh, want to be able to watch uh, the justice system play out, catch up rates? Kay and Larry Woodcock, we are with you. But what about the fact that the media and the public is in essence being shut out um, from at least a visual presentation of the case? I know that Kay Woodcock is not happy about it. How do you feel?
0: All right. So a couple of things. I'm smiling because I'm an anchor at Court TV and we show trials gavel to gavel. So certainly I do believe in TV's being in the courtroom. But let me tell you, historically, as a judge, at first, I didn't. When I first was on the bench, I said, this is a terrible thing because I don't want attorneys acting differently. I don't want people to not get a fair trial because it's being televised and because they're paying attention to that. But I have to tell you, I'm in a whole different place. Of course, we know courtrooms are public absent some certain circumstances, like a young juvenile not charged as an adult, but courtrooms are public. The public has a right to see high profile cases, courtrooms get full. How can the public watch when courtrooms are full? I think that they should be televised. And any of the concerns about a case being televised, for instance, if there's someone who's an undercover police officer testifying and it's going to affect his or her safety if you show it, there are ways to prevent witnesses from being shown, juveniles from being shown. And so, while I appreciate the audio's being allowed, I don't think it's far enough. I personally yes, absolutely think TV should be allowed their public
2: trials. And I'm glad you said that because some people have said public just means open those courtroom doors, right? Well, maybe 200 years ago, 300 years ago, that is all it had to mean. But now when you have interest of people who can't fit in the courtroom, I'm there every day on a case, every single day, practically in Ada County Courthouse, and I'm not going to be able to necessarily see this trial. And because it could be full, because I may not be able to come in at the certain time or get on the list or whatever. So how is that public? Um, and, and the fact that they have the doors open and people who are interested now, we live in an electronic community and we can't simply say that it's public because we're allowing the doors to be open when we're not allowing cameras in. And that right, that's a constitutional right to a public trial. It's his right. Uh, or, or it's the defendant's right. Um, it's also the right of the public themselves. Um, for various reasons, it ensures fair justice. That's the point: is that having people able to see what is going on in their justice system enables fairness and promotes open, good decision making. Um, I can tell you, as a practitioner, over the years, the times when There have been bad decisions that I most disagreed with have been in the secret proceedings or in the proceedings where nobody gets to see. Because why? Because nobody is able to influence the judge or the decision makers, et cetera, uh, to keep them fair and to see that they're doing the right thing. And if they don't think anybody's looking to see if they're doing the right thing, their guard is down. The decisions are not as good. Uh, It's just huge. It shouldn't be that way, but that's how it is. And so the fact is, we're not letting these cameras into this courtroom. I don't understand it. I don't think it's right. I 100% disagree with this decision.
0: And let me just, first of all, Joel, Jessica, what a guest. I mean, that was said so perfectly and eloquently. But I also have to add this. As a judge, from my perspective as a former judge, I'm not a current judge. As a former judge, I feel like, you know what? So I'm under scrutiny. That's okay. Because one of the most important jobs you can have in a courtroom is to be the judge. And I should be under scrutiny because my decision should be based in law. My decisions should be fair. And if they're not, then fine, bring me the scrutiny. So I think that cameras do ensure what Jessica just said about, it, it raises the bar. It holds us accountable for everything we're doing in that courtroom. And I think that's what every defendant deserves.
3: And I have a feeling you're going to see Jessica Bublitz on CORE TV once this trial starts between 3 and Maybe 6. Not. I bet you do. Julie I writes, uh, do you think the death penalty, Jessica, being off the table, that the jurors will find it easier to get a guilty verdict knowing that the jurors don't have to carry the weight of the death penalty decision? That's an interesting take.
2: I, I think in Idaho, the jurors would have found her beyond a reasonable doubt regardless. I don't think it makes things better that way. I mean, I, I wish I could say that this had the silver lining of that being the implication, but honestly, I think that this jury would have found her guilty based upon the evidence, regardless of whether the death penalty was on the table. Um, there may have, you never know, right. There may have been one or two jurors who, who would have let the fact that that's a potential consequence interfere with deciding whether or not she's really guilty. Uh, but I, I, I think I'm, I'm really skeptical that that would have happened.
3: Uh, this is an interesting comment here from Pauline Kamau, watching from Kenya. We truly do have a global audience here. A uh, United States treat. She didn't even write the word out. She didn't want to write it out. Murderers with leniency. That's why Americans are comfortable to commit the crime. That is an interesting perspective from a different nation. Um Got this comment here from Julie. I am from Boise, Idaho. I believe it's on the governor's desk speaking about the firing squad and then Kay Vala-Woodcock uh, weighing back in here. We are proponents of the firing squad. Um, she, meaning Lori Vala, will not be uh, receiving that uh, because death penalty is off the table uh, as of right now. Um, Jessica, I know you you highlighted some aspects, but just to sort of sum it up, In in a couple of sentences, um, she's a difficult client to defend. Um, What would be, I don't know, your primary two or three defense points um, if you were hired by the family to defend her?
2: That it was someone else. You have to point at who was responsible if you're going to say it wasn't her, and then you have to explain the behavior, which again, just like the Alex Murdoch case, they were not able to do. In that case, the jury found his emotion to be false uh, when he was testifying. And that was a big decider, they said, of why they found him guilty, because they couldn't explain his behavior, his lie. Same thing in this case. She lied about where her children were. And that's a lie that's going to be very, very difficult to get around with her behavior. And she's not going to be trying to fake it like Alex Murdoch did on the stand. I don't, see, I don't see her getting up there and crying and trying to do emotion because We haven't seen any of that from her so far. So, yeah, they have their, they have their jobs cut out for them as far as defending it. I think that this is a very highly likely uh, going to result in a conviction.
3: You just sounded like uh, Jim Griffin in closing arguments, where he just lost all confidence and all steam. There, uh, <laughs> <Jeannie, laughs> totally
2: Castiano down to the reality, right?
3: It gets just hard. Funny. It gets hard to defend someone that's. It's, it's hard <laughs> enough to defend someone who's guilty, but someone who's guilty and absolutely crazy—that's a whole other story. Um Jeannie Castiano is a friend of the show. She writes, Chad is the leader, telling Lori that her kids are zombies and no longer themselves then why are all Chad's kids alive? And well? not one of them uh, became a zombie, uh, people have said to me it's because his kids are grown up. These kids were more vulnerable. Um, I don't know if there is an answer to that. Uh, Judge, if you want to weigh in. And by the way, Beth writes, love Judge Ashley. No, uh, any idea why you. his kids are alive and hers are not?
0: Well, I appreciate your viewers, first of all, and listeners. But um, Sure. I think that goes hand in hand with uh, not forgetting that he's charged with murders as well as conspiracy to commit murders. And I think that sometimes it's the um, opportunity, right? He had an opportunity to be with a woman that I would argue he manipulated, he in part controlled, still her own actions. It's not that she's not culpable for it, but that he chose to. Uh, act in a way that benefited him and at this point in time he didn't want children in his life is my argument and he did uh, is charged with killing his ex-wife as well so why did it happen now timing wise I don't know i think it could have just as easily happened to his children when they were younger um, but it's
2: opportunity it's timing it's this is what he wanted now and he had to get rid of those kids right and why did this occur to her why did that those things i mean it's the same thing that we're seeing throughout this pending trial, she's giving him way too much credit. She's deferring to him. She's obsessed with whatever it is that he has going on as far as uh, this religious stuff. And she buys into it completely. She buys into him completely. And she doesn't seem to question any of that because even throughout this pending trial, she asked to be able to have a joint session with their attorneys where they strategize together, right? She thinks she's in this with him. And he didn't join in that. He didn't ask to strategize with her. And he asked to sever their trials. He says when he's asking to sever their trials, he has evidence against her. He is not tracking with her the way she is tracking with him. And I believe that she has not been questioning this. She has not been questioning him. She is blind to all of this to a degree. Um, Doesn't take away from her culpability in any way from a jury's perspective. Uh, but that's a point to it. She's not seeing what he's doing. She's not seeing the wool being pulled over her eyes as far as his his whole thing that he presents.
3: And uh, K-Val Woodcock uh, weighing back in here, I now feel Judge Boyce dismissing the death penalty is the same as telling the world it's okay to go there to kill your children, uh, sending the wrong message. And by the way, Lori came from Arizona, to Jessica's point about Idaho being victimized. Mm. And you see people upset, Astro writes, I'm so angry for the family like Kay Woodcock and Larry Woodcock that they won't be able to watch or will have to leave their homes for months to watch that pisses me off. Um, And Gigi McKelvey, who's on the show frequently as a guest and has followed this case as closely as anyone, she did the math and something like a 10-week trial at the rate Judge Boyce wants to charge uh, for those audio streams, it will cost uh, an average person, something like six thousand dollars, um, to get the stream, the audio streams, and that is um, a ridiculous price for an average person to pay, uh, just to be, uh, watching a trial. And here's another comment from Kay. Uh, Boyce is hiding everything he can, sealing docs, no cameras, no live audio. It is not a public courtroom. He's hiding and is uh, and is not the reasons. Uh, he is given. So uh, Jessica here, you can tell that uh, tempers are running high. Obviously the Woodcocks are are unhappy and understandably so. Do we know um, there was also a motion at the same time that the judge said he would rule on the death penalty uh, by the, d- the defense to dismiss some evidence because something like 5,000 pages of discovery came to them very late. Uh, did Judge Boyce rule on dismissing any of that? And if not, how, and I think I asked you this last time, how do you go through all this discovery in such a short amount of time?
2: Well, that's the problem. And I haven't seen that he's ruled on it. I think he said he was going to rule within a day or two. And I, if, it, if he has, I haven't seen the results of that ruling. And I, I'm not aware of that. I'll, I'll be interested to know what he does do with that. I've always said that was one of the remedies is to simply throw out the evidence of these late disclosures. However, as a defense attorney, you still have to go through it all. Uh, Because it may help your client. And so regardless of if he decides that the state can't produce it in their case in chief, you still have to go through it. And it is a short amount of time. And that's why he's telling Lori's attorneys, look, think about this, Uh, because you're going to trial in two weeks. And she's not waiving her right to speedy trial. Um, So the fact that you have all this late discovery and late disclosures that you have to go through is something is a conversation you have to have with Lori because it's a decision that she's making to go to trial in two weeks and not waive her right to speedy trial. The second she waived her right to speedy trial is the second they have all kinds of time to go through it all and to make sure there's not something that helps her case, but she's not waiving that right. Um, And so I don't know if that's, if the, If her attorneys think that's strategic and that in the end, maybe they still have a constitutional challenge on appeal, uh, even with the death penalty taken off the case. I don't know. I think that now that the death penalty is taken off the, the case and they're not having that heightened scrutiny, I'm skeptical an Idaho court would dismiss this case on appeal. So I think that's not the best strategy. It's not the wisest way to go. Defend the case, give her the due process, set the trial out, waive the speedy trial right at this point, or find a way to go through it all. Hire all the paralegals you need to tell you what's in there, one or the other. Uh, Can I just add to that in the
0: Alec Murdoch case in South Carolina, they did the same thing. He too, just like Lori Vallow, did not waive his right to a speedy trial. And we talked a lot about the fact it seemed very strategic. The prosecution was stumbling through a lot of the case. Now, of course, they secure the conviction for the murders, but I'm suggesting I do think that everyone needs to remember it's a strategic decision. I'm not saying it's the right decision or the best decision. And Defense attorneys may have to change their strategy. They may have to say, well, death penalty's off now, so now we're going to allow a continuance so we can actually get through all those pages that we do have to get through. But a lot of strategy around it as these decisions are being made, at least in my opinion.
3: Uh, Language of Horses writes, the judge is playing God. Some people do feel that way, I guess. Uh, Michelle Pretorius, not to be confused with Oscar uh, Pistorius I'm so pleased with the earlier live Joel Your usual time is at 1am in the morning South Africa time Great guests as always uh, Daddy has to do a Kid thing tonight so we're doing it earlier So unfortunately Michelle We're going to go back to uh, The usual time We'll have to keep you up late in uh, South Africa Followed by Catherine Rajir. Love these ladies Mahalo Joel What is not to love uh, We bring you the best guests One more issue to cover today, um, and then uh, we will get back. uh, Hang on one second here. Tara writes, I'm just curious here, is there anything that can be done to sway the judge's decision on cameras in the courtroom, Judge?
0: So first of all, for everyone's awareness, there is a consortium, um, AP, who do file the motions, asking for cameras to be allowed, taking up the issues, the legal issues, making the arguments. And so certainly there's a lot behind that. There are a lot of attorneys who are well-versed in all of the laws, making the right arguments. Can that order be appealed? Yes. But also it is a constant relationship with the judge to say to the judge, What if we did this? What if we did that? There are safeguards that can be taken to ensure no juror is ever going to be shown because they cannot be, et cetera, et cetera. So I would suggest there are appellate um, uh, ways to appeal an order, but also continuing conversations. And Jessica may know more for the specific state and the specific judge.
3: Uh, Kay Vallow, uh, Wayne, back in here. Thanks to all of you for your support and prayers. We appreciate Uh, you more than you'll ever know. And we appreciate her followed here by Chris. So you need to get Annie Cushing on a murderous heart. She is Tyler's aunt and Joe Ryan's sister. She is tracking the evidence and is just amazing. And I know that Steve Cohen has reached out to her and maybe we can get her on with uh, Kay and Larry Woodcock. That'd be an interesting show. So we will uh, work on all of that. Um, A final issue to cover and then some closing thoughts, because we have to let the judge get back to court TV. Uh, her day job, but, um, jury selections coming up and, um, I am learning, even though I'm not an attorney, but doing this, that, uh, you don't necessarily want to select your jury and Jessica, you may have even been the one to say this, but you want to make sure you're excluding jurors you don't want on your jury. So, uh, Jessica, who are you looking to exclude if you are, uh, working on behalf of Lori Vallow's defense, who are you looking to exclude on the jury?
2: If you're working on her defense, you are looking, I think, to exclude mothers. I think women uh, in particular who won't understand her behavior as a mother uh, are going to be someone. But that's going to be a large part of your jury pool. So obviously you're going to have to go beyond that. Right. You're questioning of them. You want to get to know um, who they are. And like I said before, it depends on your strategy. And they, to me, I can't tell what the defense strategy is right now um, without going towards the mental health aspects of this case. It's difficult to tell what exactly their strategy is going to be and who they, because that's, that's what determines who you want off your jury. Um, if your strategy was that she was unable to understand or was unable to form the necessary intent. Uh, to conspire um, or the intent to commit the crime because of her mental health defects, then you might be looking for people who don't believe you're trying to strike people who don't believe in mental health uh, as being an issue for the case, right? Who think regardless of mental health uh, behavior or understanding that they're not going to uh, ever say that that person isn't culpable. And so when you question them, if they say, look, you know, regardless of mental health, I'm never going to, to find that someone uh, didn't have the intent to do this, then you're striking that person. Um, so it depends on your strategy. And I just can't tell right now what that strategy is, uh, but I can tell it's going to be you're, you're, if you're looking for people who believe that she didn't do it, you're going to be hoping to get off the people who are going to be the most upset about this case. Um, and so that's parents. Um, in general, I think. And that's, that's quite a jury pool, right? Because you only get to strike six jurors. Um, so since the death penalty has been taken off the table and you're going to have a hard time finding, uh, only six that you need to strike
3: in this case. Uh, judge, any thoughts, uh, on jury selection, which is coming right up?
0: Well, in terms of the, um, who you don't want from a judge's perspective, just a reminder that There are questionnaires, jurors, potential jurors will be coming in and filling those out for two days in March before jury selection starts on April 3rd if it starts as scheduled. And the questionnaires are designed to give information that a judge can then excuse for cause. So if someone, for instance has a disability, or if someone has a legitimate reason that they cannot serve for more than a week or whatever it is, those are other things that happen at the beginning to have jurors excused that should not be included on a jury for a case of this magnitude and length and duration.
3: Uh, Jessica, this is a difficult comment, but um, I don't know if a lot of people know this. Laura Ferraris writes, please don't think this is insensitive and cite some Law here says they need to release Ty Lee and J.J. unless an ex parte motion was filed. I haven't seen one filed. How do we help Kay and Larry get the babies? They still have not had a proper burial because they still don't have uh, J.J. and Ty Lee in their possession to do so. Uh, I assume there's not much that can be done as this uh, justice uh, system plays out um, to, to work toward that. Is that right?
2: well, I don't know. They could either look to hire their own attorney and have someone actually file that motion or look into the law and, and see what they can do in order to intervene and file that appropriate motion. Um, or they can ask their victim witness coordinator through the prosecutor's office to do something on their behalf. And I don't know what that communication has been like with them um, or what they're telling them, but that's what that person is for, is to assist with matters like that.
3: Uh and Kate Woodcock just let us know she had a leave uh, to do something, but she thanked everyone, and we appreciate her being here. Uh, Ashley Wilcott is a former judge, a trial lawyer, and mediator. She hosts Core TV's live coverage weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m., so you can jump over there and check her out. And uh, as it relates to the Lori Vallow Daybell trial, she is also a certified child welfare law specialist and was the governor-appointed child advocate for the state of georgia patricia writes i love this show all cases are taken very seriously and the grade a intelligent guests are passionate and teach us a lot thank you joel that's why i love my job now because i learn from the best of the best uh judge your final thoughts we are inching closer to jury selection and the trial are you expecting uh drama are you expecting this to play out smoothly or is that a ridiculous question the latter it's
0: not a ridiculous question you never know what's going to happen in court and i can promise you it will not be smooth something will come up if not many things will come up and we'll see what happens with them i would say I would really tell everyone, even if the decision isn't changed, which I don't know that it will be, even if cameras are not allowed in the courtroom, please, please tune in to whoever's reporting on it, talking about it, including Court TV, but whoever you like to watch and listen to, because really, truly, from my perspective, the most important thing is to pay attention to what is happening in this case in court as we go.
3: Uh Reach the Sky writes, What happened? Why is the death penalty off the table? You're gonna have to go back and watch the replay of this very episode. It was it's what we've been talking about uh for the last one hour, four minutes, and forty-nine seconds. And uh Boise lawyer, Jessica Bublitz. She is a frequent contributor to the show. She is a skilled litigator with more than 20 years of courtroom experience. She's tried numerous cases in both state and federal courts. She is the first woman in Idaho to be named a top 100 trial lawyer by the National Trial Lawyers. And when we asked her what's going on with Idaho, you saw why she's a defense attorney. She jumped out of her seat and said, Idaho is being victimized. And it's true. The evildoer, as uh, Phil Waters calls him, and he's back live with us tomorrow, 1230 Eastern Time. He calls him the evildoer. He came from Pennsylvania. Lori Vallow came from Arizona. These are not Idahoans. Uh, Jessica, your final thoughts.
2: Yeah, it is going to be interesting. And she is here in Ada County now. Uh, Her circumstances have changed. I know people have commented on seeing her go uh, downhill already physically uh, from being in custody. Well, I think that we're going to see that accelerated uh, to some degree now that she's in the Ada County jail. Um, And this is going to be a really interesting process. The prosecutor has not shown, uh, that they are on top of things so far. So we'll see how it plays out in the courtroom.
3: Uh, and room writes, will Kay and Larry have a right to be in the courtroom? If they are in Boise, Jessica, what is the, uh, law on that? Are family if, members get first choice there?
2: If they're not potential witnesses, Uh, And I don't know uh, whether or not the state has them as a potential witness if they have some information, which they might, uh, pertaining to either character or something that they heard or something that Lori said. Um, They could be potential witnesses. And if they are on the witness list, then they will not be allowed to be in the courtroom watching. Uh, But as long as they're not witnesses, then I would imagine that they are going to make some sort of accommodation for them. They absolutely should.
3: Huge thanks to uh, both of our guests today, Jessica Bublitz and Judge Ashley Wilcott of Court TV. A quick programming note, tomorrow, 1230 Eastern Time. It is great, Scott. It's your true crime, Phil, with Phil Waters and Scott Duffy. And then 7 p.m. Eastern Sunday, I moved her. My mother is live, Carm on the case, Sunday night. Until then, love you, America.